from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. I'm Dr. Bud Marr. And we are coming to you from these United States of America. I am in my normal location here in Des Moines, Iowa, where I'm the director of Mission and Ministry at Mercy College and the director of Zeta Institute. You can check all that out at mchs.edu. Bud, you are in a strange new land. Uh, not really all that new, but what? where are you at? But where are you usually and what are you usually doing? Normally, when I record, I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, as director of the National Institute for Newman Studies, newmanstudies.org. But right now, I'm recording from the beautiful state of Nebraska. And I got to say, Bo, you guys are not messing around with your summer in the Midwest this year. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, what's funny about that is up until this week, it had been absolutely beautiful. It was uh, crazy how nice it is. But uh, this week, yeah, it decided to really try to bake everyone a bit because it was worried that, um, I don't know, that we were enjoying everything too much. So uh, are, are all of your kids, you know, good and crispy and, uh, you know, fattened up in sweets with stuff because they're out there with the grandparents? Yeah, when as, as a father, when you feel very emotionally attached to Nebraska, but your children are growing up in Pennsylvania, you know, whenever you come here, you have to get them some Taco John's, some runs. Uh, is it okay that I... <laughs> Do they have to sponsor us now on the show? Some amigos. I want you. I want you to try to talk about it so that they'll sponsor. At least I would. I would take a Taco John sponsorship. Did I tell you that I actually think one of my family members helped uh, found Taco John's? Well, the amazing thing is their tots are. Fro- I forget what they call them, but those are delicious. And I've just been dumping Dorothy Lynch on the kids' salads by the gallon, and they're all really <laughs> confused because it's just flowing out of the bottle. Yeah, and you're like buying all sorts of Nebraska furniture and Omaha steaks, and they're like, this is really confusing, Dan. The good life. Are you enjoying the good life yet? <laughs> Suck, soak it all in. We only have a week. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm glad that everybody's you know, making sure to have, have a good time. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love uh, all of uh, the, the grandparents out there. I've had a chance to meet your whole family. So make sure to tell them hello for me and you know, maybe as you're driving back through, you can throw a, 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 some runs out the, the window. All right, will do. But who are we actually underwritten by, Bo? We are underwritten by Mercy College of Health Science, who, although they do not have their own salad dressing or food uh, uh, item that they're known for, they are known for wonderful health care that prepares people for uh, the world of healing in uh, medicine, mchs.edu. We're getting done with uh, the summer semester, which has been, of course, one of the weirdest summer semesters mm-hmm. on, on Earth. Uh, but then we're also getting prepared for uh, uh, fall, which starts in September here coming up soon. Still time to go look into it. MCHS.edu. Make sure to give them a look. Yeah, when you were talking, I got a text from, from Jimmy. Potato Olays. That's the <laughs> term I was looking for, potato Olays. But no, I, as, as you're saying, Bo, like on the show, we try to start lighthearted. It's hard not to record these days and have your thoughts go to the many challenges uh, that we're facing right now. I, I saw like wildfires in Colorado now. I know California was already trying to tackle that. But our, our prayers go out to those folks. And it's great to have in Des Moines a community like Mercy College that's training 
uh, great nurses and other medical professionals to enter that field uh, and extend, extend to others, I think, compassion alongside great healthcare. Would you dare to say that your uh, course in servant leadership is sort of the potato olays of the <laughs> curriculum? That's what I tell the kids. If you, you know, the students, if you really want to understand this course, um, recognize that the rest of your time here at Mercy is really like the entree. But would you have a fulfilling experience without the potato olays of servant leadership? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like it. What else I like on the show, bud, is this doesn't happen every day, but we're going to have another Bonner on the show. So Michael Bonner, who has uh, he's a political advisor, historian, and he's wrote the book. Uh, written the book, excuse me, uh, The Last Empire of Iran. Um, I've got to know him a bit through the magic of Twitter and uh, reading some of his stuff. We, we briefly talked, and it actually seems like uh, Bonner traits uh, actually adhere all across <laughs> the globe. Uh, so um, I, I hope not to you know, waste the entire show talking about Bonner connections, but I think we have a, a really interesting show coming up for folks uh, about the his, uh, historical, uh, you know, not lacuna, but like a, a part of history that's very formative to the church's understanding of the common good that we, we often leave out. Yeah, and what, it's great to have Iowa Catholic Radio in a place where we can dive deep into history, which I think is sometimes, you know, something lacking on air. But just knowing Michael's work, I think our listeners are in for a treat and starting to you know, look into this fascinating time in history as a way of trying to situate ourselves as faithful followers of Jesus within our own historical context. I think we're going to try to be the one, let's make this pledge here, but we'll be the one American <laughs> radio show interviewing a Canadian and we won't mention hockey or maple syrup. Let's make that pledge right now. Yeah. Well, and we're probably the one show talking to a Canadian about the Iranian empire, <laughs> but, I, but I'll, I'll keep hockey and maple syrup out of it. Uh, because I, I, I do know that like, uh, where did you actually start? Did you start watching hockey out at Pittsburgh? Was that because of Pittsburgh or just because of Brandon McGinley having hockey here? Well, I'll be honest when, uh, so Rachel's family, they take a fishing trip each year. It, it's to the Dakotas today, but back in the day it was Canada. And when we were staying at the lodge, like hockey would be the only thing on. And up there, there was this announcer who was like, just so gung ho about playoff hockey. So that kind of, that kind of drew me into it. I have, uh, by the, for the sake of like full disclosure, I can't portray myself as like this passionate hockey fan that's tuned in every night. But if you're uh, if you're around the water cooler or the uh, coffee hour after mass in Pittsburgh, you want to know if the Pens won or lost the night before. That's pretty essential. There you go. Well, um, folks, it's the Uncommon Good. Uh, we're looking forward to talking with Michael, not about hockey, but the Iranian Empire, and we'll be back right after this. Folks, if you have any questions for the show or you want to just keep up with Iowa Catholic Radio, it's easy to do. All you have to do is use the zip with line. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. The zip with line. Your connection to everything going on with the uncommon good. Just put hashtag UCG if you have a question for us. But also Iowa Catholic Radio as well. I know that we have Carathon uh, in the horizon here coming up. So if you have questions about uh, donating and wanting to be uh, a part of our ministry through donating, you can do that through the zip whip line. 515-223-1150. 515-223-1150. You can text. And of course, that is the number that if you want to call, 
So uh, just the normal line, 515-223-1150, call up, and we can have that conversation with you. This is the Uncommon Good, Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marn. We'll be back right after this. What is the best gift ever? Giving a Catholic education is at the top of my list. Your contribution to CTO helps families send their children to our Catholic schools who otherwise could not afford it. In giving to CTO, you receive the best tax credits ever. Pledge or donate online at ctoiowa.org. The bottom line, it's for the kids and their future. Did you know you have a choice in your child's education? Smaller class sizes, dedicated teachers, a sense of community, and a caring learning environment. Whether it's in the classroom or at home, Diocese of Des Moines Catholic Schools deliver the best value in education, and we offer tuition assistance to help you afford it. Learn more about how the Catholic schools in the Des Moines Diocese might be the right choice for your child. Visit dmdiocese.org schools. Thank you, Big Red Q Quick Print, for underwriting the sports report. Family owned and operated since 1980, Big Red Q Quick Print is a full service print shop ready to help you with all your printing needs with speed and accuracy. BigRedQ-DesMoines.com. Thank you, Dental Associates, for supporting Dowling Catholic Sports 365. Dental Associates, addressing your smile, needs, and dreams. 515-225-6742. Online at Des Moines-DentalAssociates.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio's broadcast of Dowling Catholic Sports and Activities is provided by Kemen. Kemen strives to sustainably transform the quality of life every day for 80% of the world with their products and services. Kemen, using science to transform the world. Online at Kemen.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Be Not Afraid is provided by Dream Dirt Farm Real Estate and Auction. Learn more at DreamDirt.com, including their online auction house, FarmBid, at bid.dreamdirt.com. Dream Dirt Farm and Equipment Auction Services, farm auctions done right. joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for uh, listening to our show. It's wonderful to have you with us today. We're going to talk with Michael Bonner, the author of The Last Empire of Iran. Michael, thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Now, just to get this out of the way for everyone, I do not know Michael Bonner, but I assume every single Bonner on earth is related. So I was very (laughs) happy when I heard you were going to get on the show. Uh, So I, I don't know the existence of Canadian Bonners. The Bonners that I'm all from are uh, Southern Bonners. We're a wily bunch. But uh, so is there a whole clan of Bonners that I need to meet up in Canada? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, there, there, there are actually very few of us here. Um, I, I, my family is the only group of Bonners that I'm aware of. Uh, but uh, I would wager that we're related. It's not but, actually a common name. Oh, no. And I know. And uh, so a historian, a political advisor, but the author of this book that uh, we're wonderful to have you on the show. I actually think the Bonners uh, is not completely unrelated to what we're talking about, because in what I've looked back, the Bonners are Normans who sort of end up in the historical records in various places in Europe because we're these sort of northerners. We come down, we end up in France, we end up, you know, actually in very different places all the way down. Well, our relatives, I should say, in Sicily, we end up in sort of Britain and uh, you know, Ireland and Scotland and then over into the United States. The reason I bring this up and think this is interesting or pertains to your book. So the last empire of Iran, I would say, I would venture to say that even people who are historically minded in the West, who would know things about 
the Greek empires, the Roman ones, maybe even Byzantium. The idea of what is going on any further east into the Middle Ages before we get uh, into the Middle East, excuse me, before we get to uh, the sort of uh, Islamic uh, and, and Christian uh, uh, interchange that, mm. that really people lose sort of an understanding, I would say, of what's going on. Uh, you kind of I think some people read the Old Testament and they know King Cyrus. Maybe they maybe know who Xerxes is because they watched a movie about it or something. Right. Um, but the idea that simultaneous with in in the West Christian West, that there's a bunch of barbarians moving into old an old empire's turf and deciding it's really cool and wanting to take it over. So like all of these barbarians like the Normans who move in and try to be more Christian roman than the romans even were you have this happening when when the arab islamic uh, groups move into the quote-unquote east and start to find a, a sort of similar dynamic there is this old empire that existed that they in many ways fall in love with and adapt to uh, their new realities but mm. but we don't even know what that we don't even know what to call it you call it um the, the last empire of iran but uh, it, it goes by many different names. And if, if I'm not mistaken, do you think that's a good way to say like what your book is about is to talk about, you call it the sedentary cultures and the sort of nomadic cultures yeah. and how the great Eastern empire that is Persia in its various uh, forms uh, becomes where, wh- what we know it as today. So a, a very difficult question. What is the Persian empire for all of us who don't know what it is? Okay. Well, you, you, let's start with Cyrus. You mentioned Cyrus. He's a figure uh, of some importance in the Bible. Uh, obviously, he uh, uh, is the founder of what you could call the world's first uh, real international empire. There had, there had been big states before, uh, you know, Sumeria, uh, Assyria, Babylon, the Elamites, and so forth. Obviously, these figures are these uh, peoples and empires are mentioned uh, in in scripture also. Uh, But it was uh, Cyrus, a Persian uh, king, who uh, unified um, most of the Near East from from about Egypt. uh, Sorry, it was his uh, descendants who uh, actually conquered Egypt. But at its height, the empire which Cyrus founded stretched from Egypt to the Hindu Kush mountains uh in the east and this was this was the uh world's first big international uh multi-ethnic uh, polylingual whatever you like to call it empire with persia at its center persia is uh, properly speaking the uh, uh south west of uh, of iran it's it's a uh, corresponds roughly to the modern Iranian province called Fars, F-A-R-S. This was famously the empire that was overthrown by Alexander the Great, um, you know, and resisted by the the 300 Spartans, uh, which you alluded to before. Um, Alexander's uh, successors sort of divided up... um, the the old Persian Empire amongst themselves and and you know eventually their own uh, states fell apart and and uh, were were conquered by others uh, most famously uh, the the so-called Parthians a nomadic uh, nomadic Iranian people overthrew 
the um, most famous successor to Alexander, uh, his uh, the house that he founded was, or the, the dynasty that he founded was called the Seleucid uh, state. They were overthrown by the Parthians. And uh, a couple of centuries later, the Parthians themselves were overthrown by a uh, family called Sasanian. The so-called Sasanian Empire is the main subject of, of my book. And it was that empire that corresponds roughly to the, the, the 220s uh, up until uh, the year 651. The 220s corresponds to, you know, or really the whole third century corresponds to really a very rough time in, uh, in Roman history, uh, the so-called crisis of the third century. And we pass from there to the rise of Constantine. And from Constantine, we get to uh, Theodosius and eventually famously to the Emperor Justinian. And uh, before we know it, we're into the, the last so-called the last great war of antiquity at the beginning of the seventh century between Rome and Persia. And the curtain comes down uh, in the year 651 with the uh, the Arab conquest and the killing uh, of the last Sasanian king, Yazgard III. So that's that's a sort of very very rough uh, potted history of the uh, of the period in question for you. And I think what's interesting about this is you you literally just rattled off hundreds of years of history uh, and you did a great job for us i appreciate this what what starts to be mesmerizing is even when people begin to care about so we're, you know i'm talking here on iowa catholic radio they, they care about their faith they want to learn about the ancient world they want to learn about the world that sort of gave birth to what what a lot of people think the middle ages and and, and the sort of mm. time period where uh catholic church for instance comes to its understanding of catholic social teaching you know what our show's about common good uh how the church and the state relate but it, it seems that we try to um talk about uh only one lung as it were and yeah. you know pope benedict the 16th when he's pope has famously said it's about the church that the church has yeah. two lungs the east and the west but mm-hmm. even seen civilizationally we will act like uh rome or byzantium or europe is sort of doing all of these things uh, in a vacuum, whereas th- this entirety of, of a world that becomes not only uh, important for the, the time period that you just said, but as your book points to, it is foundational to the world that comes after it, after Islam uh, takes over that region. Yeah. Why do you think it, it, it's such a, a gray area for us? Why is it shrouded in mist and not talked about uh, in, in a sufficient way, as it were? Good question. Um, I think that there are two primary reasons. One is the difficulty of the uh, of the historical sources involved. Uh, unlike Ro- unlike most of Roman history, especially something like Roman Republican history, you know, where you have you know, like there there are whole weeks that pass that where where we have them, you know, virtually all covered in a historical source, or the, you know, we have great detailed, very detailed accounts about uh, you know high politics and and so forth. Um, we don't have that kind of thing for Iranian history, um, practically, practically at any period. Um, there's no Iranian Thucydides or uh, Procopius or, um, you know, uh, 
great, uh, the, you know, there's no equivalent of the venerable bead or, or any, anything like that. So uh, a lot of what we're looking at are Roman sources that are sort of taking note of Iranian events because they're at war or because there's some kind of um, church-related uh, problem. So a lot of, a lot of those uh, foreign sources are hostile. Uh, and you have to sort of filter out that uh, that bias or somehow take account of it. Um, then you have the fact that it seems like a lot of uh, contemporary uh, history gets contemporary Iranian history gets recycled in later medieval chronicles from the uh, Islamic period. These are not written in Persian. They're written in, in Arabic, which means that if there was a uh, an indigenous uh, historical tradition that it's passed through translation, you know, possibly more than once. Uh, so, you know, names get garbled, uh, events get misunderstood. Um, you know, editors probably chopped out a lot of stuff that they didn't think was uh, interesting or you know whatever. Uh, they're very much imperfect. So there's there's a lot of sort of historiographical work that has to go into just understanding the sources themselves. And, you know, that's not easy. And for many people, just frankly, it isn't very interesting. Um, the second problem, I think, is that uh, sort of late antique Iranian history sort of gets lost in in the, in this sort of no man's land between the ancient world and the coming of Islam. And that at best, for many historians in the past, I think, uh, and certainly for the Arabic, you know, the, the sort of uh, Perso-Arabic chroniclers themselves, the Sasanian world often gets portrayed as a kind of prelude to Islam, uh, a kind of, uh, you know, age of age of decadence and and uh, arguably even de degeneracy that that then gets superseded by um, by a new uh, religion and a new culture now I don't agree with that at all as you can probably gather from the book but I think that that's that's been a common uh, that's been a common uh, problem which is still very hard to to get over so in my the way I approached it is that uh, I exercise a great deal of skepticism about sources. And, and I, I basically start by throwing away, um, throwing away all the anecdotes or sort of, you know, exaggerations or obvious uh, lies, that sort of thing that, that I come across in, in, in later sources, unless they can be corroborated in, in contemporary uh, contemporary accounts, contemporary Roman or Syrian or Armenian accounts. Uh, that happens more often than you might think. Uh, so it's possible to reconstruct, I think, fairly well a good idea uh, about the course of events, uh, chronology, the key players, and so forth. But uh, unfortunately, hardly anybody, hard, hardly a single person uh, or historical personage or, you know, historical actor, if you like, ever really comes into focus. It, you, you don't get the sort of personal views of, of people uh, the, way you, the way you do in 
in later medieval history or in you know say like the letters of Cicero help you reconstruct the personality of 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 you know a late republican uh, statesman or the commentaries of Caesar and so forth so you get a good overall picture but you don't get the the very very uh minute uh detail Michael this is Bud Marr and I I, I'm very fond of a historian by the name of Christopher Dawson, and he brings up the point that, you know, if you want to know, like, the beating heart of a civilization or a culture, to pay attention to its religion. And uh, despite, you know, widespread religious literacy today in the West, um, I think, you know, many of our listeners, of course, would have a handle on Christianity and Judaism and even Islam. But um, part of my if I mispronounce this, but like Zoroastrianism would have been the religion mm. um, most dominant in this empire. Could you give us a bird's eye view of that tradition? Like what was the, what was the sort of vivifying principle of this empire's religious life? Okay. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and you, you pronounce it perfectly right. Um, Zoroastrianism is uh, ostensibly one of the oldest world religions. It comes out of uh, a kind of undifferentiated uh, pantheon, like religious pantheon uh, worshipped by uh, the Indo-European speaking peoples, similar to the Norse, Norse gods, the Roman gods, or uh, even modern uh, Hinduism. So it comes out of a it comes out of a essentially sort of polytheistic uh, world where the forces of nature are worshipped and and you know there's like a sky god corresponding to Zeus or uh, you know so on and so forth. Anyway, um, Zoroaster himself, uh, also called Zarathustra, was uh, supposedly a priest of this old religion, um, and he came up with a new idea uh, whereby there were not uh, many gods. There were, uh, there were actually uh, two, uh, one called uh, Ahura Mazda, who uh, is associated with uh, uh, goodness and light and the sun with uh, procreation and growth and so forth. And uh, his uh, evil counterpart called Angra Mainyu, you know, roughly corresponding to the devil, I guess you could say, uh, who is associated with darkness and evil and, and so forth. And these two gods are in a sort of uh, cosmic struggle and uh, mankind is obliged to participate uh, in, uh, in, in the struggle, uh, ideally on the, the side of light. Uh, this is obviously the foundation of Manichaeism, which uh, you know initially inspired St. Augustine. Um, and uh, it's, uh, you know, it has had some influence on uh, other Christian heresies and so forth. Uh, so this religion has, it, it's a religion that has scriptures, but the scriptures that have come down to us are in a very sort of uh, mutilated form and they're incomplete. In fact, it's so the situation is so bad that we know that things have been lost, but we don't we don't know what has been lost. We don't know how much has been lost. So it's very difficult to reconstruct uh, exactly what 
say uh, ritual life was like or or what a, you know whether there was anything corresponding to a public liturgy and, and what it would have been like um, so scholars of religion will debate these kinds of things probably forever um, it's also greatly it's also hotly contested to what extent modern day uh, Zoroastrianism uh, which still has some adherence was uh, similar to the older version now uh, leaving all that stuff aside the fundamental point here is that the the Sasanian state established the, the Zoroastrian religion as the sort of official state doctrine uh, in, in, in the 220s, uh, making it basically, making, making, this, making the Iranian Empire the world's first great uh, confessional state. This is a good uh, century, at least, before, uh, before uh, Constantine and uh, Nicaea, and obviously well before Theodosius I, who is responsible for, uh, really responsible for the establishment of, of, uh, of the Christian religion uh, within, within the Roman state. So it's possible to suggest, I wouldn't uh, push too hard, but it's possible to suggest that, that the, the notion of a Christian Roman empire is sort of modeled on the idea of a Zoroastrian Iranian one. That the, the that there would the idea that there would be a close relationship between church and state, between uh, the Zoroastrian hierarchy and the ruler, and and so forth. Now, that's also a subject of of some debate. But what what I what I argue in the book, though, and I think there's a good deal of evidence for it, is that the uh, Christians within Iran uh, were always a, a growing uh, gr growing minority population who were uh, initially persecuted, but it, it wasn't long before uh, Christianity was granted uh, full tolerance, a sort of uh, Edict of Milan type uh, uh, moment under uh, King Yazgard I in the, the uh, early, early fifth century. And uh, despite some successive kings sort of waffling back and forth with persecution and, and tolerance that by the end of the fifth century, you have the establishment of a, of a properly indigenous Iranian church um, on the model of the uh, Roman one uh, under the favor, if not the actual patronage of the Persian king. And, Christians within the Iranian Empire continue to become more and more influential. Uh, you find that they're serving the king uh, in very high and influential positions at court. And in uh, several surviving historical texts uh, from, from the period, you, you will encounter the stories and rumors that various Persian kings actually became Christian, that they converted. I don't think there's any truth to that, but it, it, it does suggest uh, efforts on the part of the uh, court, uh, the royal court, to, to conciliate uh, a very important uh, population and to, uh, uh, to show that uh, a, an Iranian Christian could be um, 
a loyal subject of the Zoroastrian king in exactly the same way that that uh, Zoroastrian subjects were. Michael, so, uh, the, we're, we're coming up on the break, but this is this is uh, fascinating stuff that um, we're going to go to the break right now. But when we get back, we'll get right into this. We have uh, Michael Bonner on the show, the author of The Last Empire of Iran. Stick around with The Uncommon Good and we'll be back right after this. Folks, if you want to keep up with The Uncommon Good through social media, it's easy to do. All you have to do is go to our various social media sites. The first one is the original one, iowacatholicradio.com, the website where you can listen live. If you have a connection, you can donate. You can sign up for newsletters. You can uh, see what the programming is on the show and everything like that. You can go to Facebook. Just look up Iowa Catholic Radio. You can friend us, and through the magic of Zuckerberg's website, you will be friends with us. Also, through the magic of Twitter, if you want to hear our tweets, I should say see them. It's easy to do. Just go find at IA Catholic Radio, and you will be able to keep up with our tweets. Uh, oh, finally, you want to make sure to download the Iowa Catholic Radio app, and everywhere you have data, you can listen to us, donate, and various things like that. The app, Twitter, Facebook, the website, all the ways that you can make sure to keep up with us. Stick around. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back right after this. Partial support for Catholic Women Now comes from injury attorney Fred Haas. When Iowans have been injured through no fault of their own, in a car, truck, or motorcycle accident, harmed in a work-related injury, or suffered injury due to negligence of others, Fred Haas has been on their side to help recover from financial, physical, and emotional loss. Fred, double D, Haas, double A. Online at fredhaas.com. The Des Moines Law Offices of Fred Haas. While we have time, let us do good. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Christ is the Answer with Father John Ricardo is provided by Confluence Brewing Company. Brewed locally and featuring regular, seasonal, and limited release beers available at local stores, bars, and restaurants. Confluence Brewing Company at 1235 Thomas Beck Road, off the bike trail south of Grays Lake, and online at confluencebrewing.com. Confluence Brewing Company offers curbside service and would like to thank you for your support. Thank you, Confluence Brewing Company, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Thank you to Mercy One for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. From the cardiovascular experts at the Iowa Heart Center to the pediatric services of Mercy Children's Hospital and Clinics, Mercy provides complete care for Central Iowa's adults and children with more than 50 primary care and specialty clinics in the Des Moines area. Find a convenient Mercy One location near you. Online at mercydesmoines.org. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. We should get a break from the hot weather by the weekend. In the meantime, 97 for the high this afternoon, gusty and sunny. Overnight looks clear, down to 73, hot and humid tomorrow, mid-90s. The weather is brought to you by Rock Valley Physical Therapy. Outstanding outpatient physical therapy and sports medicine rehabilitation. Seven convenient locations in the Des Moines metro and southwest Iowa area. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. Dr. Bud Mart joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for coming back to listening to the show. Uh, as we had in the first segment, our guest is the author, political advisor, and historian Michael Bonner, uh, the uh, author of The Last Empire of Iran. Michael, thank you for coming back on the show. My pleasure. 
So when we left uh, on the last segment, we were talking about the fascinating history that uh, not only of how Zoroastrianism uh, played a role within uh, the, the empire, the last empire of Persia before the Islamic invasions, but also how there was a role of Christianity. Uh, there was an Iranian Christianity that, that, that sprung up uh, inside of the Zoroastrian empire. What starts to be interesting about this time period, and, and like you hinted at uh, in, in the last segment, the idea that you could have a state that was a confessional state where um, everyone would be under uh, a Christian king, a Zoroastrian king, uh, that 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 comes up during this time period. But furthermore, even something like the religion uh, that the Persian Empire had, as you pointed out, it, it, it sprang from many different sources. But this age, the sort of last part of antiquity, was an age of, of unification. How is it that we were going to have empires from one river to the other, how was it that we were going to have a unified religion that had that had the ability to speak as one? Uh, in doing the research for your book, you, why is this such a, a principle that 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 sort of the, the 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 icing on the cake of antiquity is this concern with unity? I think that's a fascinating question, and I'm afraid that I simply have no answer. I don't know what it was that. Uh, was motivating that trend, but it is nevertheless a trend that you find almost everywhere. It was during this period that that uh, the Talmud uh, was written, the, you know, the the sort of definitive, uh, you know, uh, commentaries and interpretation of of the Jewish law. This was this was the uh, you know sort of golden age of of uh, Christological uh, heresies and and the the great. Uh, ecumenical councils, uh, and you know it's it's the same moment. You know, even even Julian, the the Emperor Julian, who was a notorious hater of Christians, even his version of paganism was a kind of peculiar one that that was uh, you know modeled on uh, Christianity with a sort of priestly hierarchy and and with with a codification of doctrine. And it's you know it's it's you know the, the the fashion for neoplatonist thought and 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 sort of you know codifying these 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 ideas was, was very much uh, you know uh, very very much the spirit of the age. Um, what I will say though is that um, it's really questionable to what extent this was true of Zoroastrianism. Were there schools of thought that you know we would the so-called orthodox Zoroastrians would con, would consider or would have considered heretical. You know, we have uh, some kind. We, we we have some evidence that there were, you know, big meetings of Zoroastrian priests, similar to church councils. But you know, it, it's sort of debatable whether these things really happened and 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 what they actually discussed. But the evidence we have is focused mainly on determining. Um, you know what uh, uh, what Zoroastrian scripture was, as opposed to what Zoroastrian orthodoxy was, what right belief was. Um, the inscriptions that have come down to us from uh, one uh, Zoroastrian priest by the name of Kerdir, who had a great deal of influence over the Sasanian court, suggest that he was really very much less concerned with orthodoxy than he was with. Uh, proper, proper liturgical or uh, ritual uh, usage. Uh, so you know that's that's a sort of open question, and um, of course 
all of these trends uh, that, that we don't find in Zoroastrianism, in, in, in Christianity and Judaism and, and uh, Manichaeism and so forth, they, they crop up again within Islam. Islam is arguably the, you know, the sort of quintessential late antique religion that sort of uh, codifies doctrine in the simplest uh, possible manner that has, that has ever gained uh, acceptance. It has a creed consisting of, you know, very few words and uh, it, it has uh, uh, sort of uh, uh, commands you to pray five times a day and so forth and, and, and uh, demands, uh, it has a sort of a, a, obviously a holy book as well. Um, this is unthinkable in, in any sort of age of the world. And to go back to the beginning, I have no idea what caused it. It's simply a trend that you just observe practically everywhere. There's probably there's probably a parallel somewhere in China. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. what it is. There probably is one. You know, codification, the classics or something. Yeah, Michael. One thing I'm struck by when I was reading your article was, you, you know, for for those who are living at the height of a great empire, it feels often to human beings that that will last forever. Yeah, and even up to the very like final decades of an empire, I don't. Th- I mean, it seems like very few realize how fragile things are. And you you make some interesting points about this. Like, the future we want is is rarely the future that we actually get. And you say also in that article that civilization outlasts politics. I know this is moving. It's kind of putting on more like the philosopher's hat than the historian's hat. But based on the research that you've done. Um, do you have any thoughts about how how communities live well within empire? Like, is it just a sense like to recognize the fragility even of this very high culture, you know, sort of like elaborately structured order? What does it mean to, you know, be a citizen? Um, I, 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 I guess what I'm thinking about is like it's always dangerous to draw two directive lines from like a historical experience to our own time. But, you know, right. living in living in a day and age where many of you know many of our most of our listeners will be like within the American Imperium, you can begin to see some analogies here, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's an interesting contrast. There's no longer a Roman Empire. There's no longer an Iranian Empire. Those are long gone, uh, and you know they will never come back. But the Roman religion, Christianity, has survived. And it is the greatest religion in, in the world today. But the Zoroastrian religion is not. It did not survive its empire. Why? I don't know. Um, the, uh, the Islamic caliphates are gone. There's still Islam, but you know, different schools of Islam debate whether you can even have Islam without uh, the caliph. I forget who it was. It was like Ibn, what is his name? Ibn Taymiyyah. He says, no caliph, no Islam. So, you know, people will, people will probably debate this forever. Um, in the case of, well, the point I was trying to make about civilization and politics is that there's just simply no, I mean, I can, I can hardly think of a, of a historical example of, of, you know, let me put it this way. There are very, very few political systems that have continued on for, you know, to, to such an extent that people can, pe- people would confidently say that they will always be there. 
people will talk about, for example, the, the continuity of Chinese culture going back a very, very long way. And, you know, w with certain, within certain reasonable limits, that's probably a fair, uh, fair thing to assert. But how many didn't, how many Chinese dynasties have there been? How many, how many times has China been ruled by foreigners, by invaders? The last Chinese, the, the last dynasty, the last emperor was, was uh, a Manchurian. Uh, the, there is there is no uh, very little continuity within within human uh, political structures, but there is far more within uh, culture. And as a as as an outsider, I'm not an American, but as as an outsider, I would say that one of the one of the interesting things about America is uh, the. The, the the politics and culture are actually very similar the the the, the idea of a of, of an experiment in 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 republican government and and, and liberty uh it is uh, no less uh, cultural than it is uh political obviously there are political institutions but the 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 uh american culture strikes me as as one uh that is far more idealistic than say Canadian or, or British uh, culture with, with with which I'm more familiar, uh, but also somehow at the same time more more realistic than 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 something like the the idealism of, of you know French Enlightenment uh, republicanism or, or, or you know some other similar uh, similar thing. So you know i know that we live in difficult times and 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 so forth but i would be optimistic that as as long as as long as people uh as long as americans believe in in uh in in their in their culture as long as they believe in 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 the values on which their country was was founded i, I would i would continue to be optimistic canada is a very different place canada is uh, uh, more about uh, stressing the, the continuity of of uh, uh, of uh, you know old world uh, monarchy in 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 the new world. Uh, you know, I think we've made a success of it too, just in in, in a very uh, in a very different way. But uh, you know, we we are arguably uh, you know sort of paragons of stability compared to uh, many other many other parts of the world. But uh, to go back to go back to the uh, Sasanian example, uh, you know, when I wrote that article, uh, and 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 of course when I wrote the book, you know, I, I'm thinking of, you know, this this uh, sort of great uh, imperial vision of a of an empire uniting the entire civilized world uh, of of Western Eurasia, and there was a moment at which the the Persian king had had just about succeeded in doing that. Uh, having almost completely swallowed up the the Roman Empire, and you know, at that moment in about the year 624, 625, there would have been no reason to think that that was going to change, and yet it suddenly did. The Roman em Emperor Heraclius uh, led a counterattack uh, through Armenia and took the fight right to the uh, Persian capital, and uh, that that was, you know, that was basically the end of uh of uh the, the the persian empire was downhill after that and then even though that settlement between rome and persia might have worked out the arab conquest begins and both empires are are left uh well persia is completely overrun and uh rome is left uh 
uh, a shell of its of its former self. You know, that, that brings to mind someone else I know that we've both uh, read and interacted with, with uh, uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, as you start throwing out words like anti-fragile and fragile. And it's yes. interesting to, to think that, you know, in economic and political power, those truly seem like the things that where power resists. But, but history proves time and again that, though powerful, extremely fragile, it takes only very specific and to borrow more words from it. It only takes like a few black swans, as it were, a few unpredictable things that will really crack the entirety of the edifice of political power. But culture, as it, it truly starts to be the antifragile thing. It is the thing that you are amazed at as, as someone who begins to read in the past where it keeps showing up. And we only have about three minutes left, but I, I think that that's the note that I, I, would, I would throw back to you to hope to end on, because I think that's what your, your book brilliantly shows is we, we, we get confounded uh, by this paradox that the powerful thing ends up being fragile and the thing that seems to be like, you know, more, you know, maybe loose or, or not have the true power ends up being the anti-fragile thing. And I, I wonder if you think that bears out in your book. I think that you're absolutely right. And, you know, this is I, I think this is a historical fact. I don't know. I don't know what the reason for it is, but it it, uh, it, it seems to be borne out in, in many different times and in many different places. But in the case of Iran, Iran has uh, been conquered by foreigners, much like China, uh, several times. But each time it comes back with with a new uh, a new empire. Uh, first of all, and then that one gets overthrown again and the cycle starts over. But the culture ha remains remarkably stable. I, th I think that there's no better proof of it than uh, the celebration of the uh, Nowruz festival, which is the Persian New Year going back, you know, millennia to uh, uh, the Zoroastrian religion. Even in the Islamic Republic of Iran, you know, during the Nowruz, you would not know that it was a uh, Muslim country. This is a very ancient festival that has been sort of continually reborn as a as a, not not so much as a religious one, but as a as a symbol of national uh, unity, if you will. But then there's of course the survival of the Persian language itself. You know, this is the, the, people were talking Persian. Uh, you know, when uh, uh, you know when Herodotus was writing, hmm. right? Obviously, people still speak Greek too, but but the the Greek language has has uh, suffered uh, less uh, you know less conquest and less uh, trouble than 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 Persian has. In no other part of the old uh, Islamic Empire does the native language survive. Only uh, in Iran. I mean, there are some exceptions with like you know parts of Armenia, but you know, but for the most part. The survival of the Persian language is a miracle of history, which which shows, uh, you know, if not actual uh, anti-fragility, then certainly uh, certainly remarkable uh, robustness, and uh, you know, it's still here with us, and 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 it will be for for some time, long after, uh, uh, inshallah, the fall of the Islamic Republic. Yeah, you know, and I I think that that's the thing I want to end on is. There's a lot of talk in, in uh, modern Christian parlance about what do we do when things are falling apart? And I mean, you know, maybe we're just humans are overdramatic about their situation. But I actually think that this is what uh, the takeaway I got from your book is, you know, put not your trust in princes, kingdoms rise and fall, but uh, the, the sheer ability 
for certain human institutions and realities to be anti-fragile. And uh, if, if we're uh, saying what we say about the church here on the show is true, uh, that, that these human realities bear this out. Uh, Dr. Michael Bonner, thank you for coming on the show. It was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you for uh, uh, making time to, to be on our show. No, my, my pleasure. It was great. And uh, I, I hope we can keep in touch. Yeah, Thanks, wonderful. So, yeah, so make sure to go check out uh, the article or his book, uh, Dr. Michael Bonner, uh, The Last Empire of Iran. This is the Uncommon Good. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, our city, our state, our country, the solar system, the whole kit and caboodle. This is the Uncommon Good. And we'll be back next week. So, but if folks want to keep up with the Uncommon Good and what we're up to by praying with us in our prayer ministry, what are times and prayers that they can do that by? Join us in praying the rosary daily at 5.30 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 9.30 p.m. We also pray the Angelus in the morning at 6. And all of those prayer opportunities can be found 24-7 on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. And then, folks, uh, we just want to reach out and tell you, of course, that the Iowa Catholic Radio is a ministry that extends well past the people that you hear on air it, uh, it includes, of course, people like Bud and myself, all of our uh, local radio hosts. Uh, it includes everybody behind the boards like Jimmy, all the wonderful people in the offices and the front offices. But it really does include you. It is a ministry that reaches uh, through walls, 24-7 outreach, trying to get people to hear the words of truth that our Lord gave to us. And so we want to thank you for everything that you do. We thank you for your prayers. We thank you for the volunteer hours that you do, but we also thank you for the donations that you give to the show. It's uh, impossible to underestimate the necessity of um, giving donations during this time of COVID. So many um, nonprofits are having difficult times and we want to thank you for supporting us through this, Uh, but we still need that more than ever. Uh, So we hope that you consider giving to us. You can go through the donation button on uh, the website. You can do that through the social media app that you can download. You can also call 515-223-1150 and talk with the folks there to ask uh, ways in which you can donate, and they'd be happy to do that. We also have Carathon coming up, so prayerfully, if you can consider being a part of our uh, ministry through your prayers, through maybe volunteering, but definitively uh, through your donations, because we can't exist without um, the material support you give. And we want to make sure to say thank you for all that you do, because it is so important. Um, But, you know, thinking about uh, what we talked about with uh, Michael, um, I think that one of the things we want to say, especially in 2020, where there's so much craziness going on and that there's so much talk about the political order We do need to keep that in mind that one of the interesting things about human life is what proves to be anti-fragile is sort of the deep cultural things and the truths of Jesus Christ and his church. Uh, They, they, you know, kicked around, fought against Satan, throws all he can against the church. But here still we stand, even though many empires have fallen away. And I think coming up on um, Carathon and and, and saying that to folks, that's something I hope that they dwell upon. Yeah, it's easy to forget because the things in life that grab our attention are often what's actually passing, whether that's great material wealth or, um, you know, military prowess or whatnot. But as Michael pointed out, uh, you know, empires have come and fall. The, the, the Jewish faith is still practiced around the globe in different areas. And certainly our Lord has, has promised to protect and guard his church until the end of time. And so as we've, as we've highlighted on the show many times, Bo, 
any investment that we make in that, of course, has an eternal return and will come back to us beyond what we can presently imagine. Yeah, and I, I one more time want to just say everyone who's listening that uh, it's quite an honor to get to be a part of Iowa Catholic Radio, and it's an honor to be on this show and, and be uh, – th- this is something that I know Bud and I look to each week. And so we want to thank you for um, everything that you allow us to do by being a part of the radio show. Um, people driving through Iowa able to listen to it, people on the podcast who get a chance in different states to hear uh, the various shows – um, we've heard your feedback and we just want to say thank you again. So one more time, um, you want to make sure to donate. You can go online to the radio, uh, to the, to the website, iowacatholicradio.com. You can download the Iowa Catholic radio app, but then you can get a hold of us. 515-223-1150. Call in text. Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, let us know what you're praying for. And then if you're able to donate to the show, we really appreciate it. Bud. Uh, Be careful with those kids. Tell everybody out there hi for me and make sure that you drive back safe. All right. Thanks for the blessings and the prayers. You too, buddy. Yep. And uh, maybe hold off on that that last runzo you were planning to eat. No, I'm (laughs) kidding. Folks, this is The Uncommon Good. Uh, We'll be back with you next week. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcasts. Just search for The Uncommon Good.